Welcome to Season 6, Episode 5 of Fire Away, Rudner Law's online show focused on the employment law issues that matter to you. My name is Brittany Taylor. I am an employment lawyer and partner at Rudner Law, and I am your host for this episode of Fire Away. Fire Away streams live online every month, and if you missed an episode or want to watch one again, they are always available on our YouTube channel, Facebook page, and on our website. Today, I'm joined by Nicole Stibby, with over 25 years in the corporate space as a leader, mentor, trainer, and strategic advisor to organizations of all sizes, Nicole challenges companies to leverage their focus and pay attention to what matters most, developing a culture of belonging and well-being so employees can thrive. This is going to be such a great discussion on employee engagement, equity, diversity, and inclusion, and hopefully a little bit about Nicole's work as a career coach as well, if we have time. So we better get started. We have a lot to cover. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Rebecca. So happy to be here. All right. So let's jump right in. Mm -hmm. so I'd like to, first of all, talk about you. Tell us about yourself, how you got into this field, and kind of the scope of work that you do with Soul Work Alliance. Yeah, so I have been in the well-being space for a number of years. Uh, I've been developing well-being strategies, corporate well-being strategies for organizations. Um, and I just found that over time, they weren't missing the mark. We were trying to do this kind of one-size-fits-all approach or, you know, saying that we have kind of this flexible strategy. Um, but a year later, you know, clients were coming back and saying, you know, to us as a consulting firm saying, we just, we, we haven't met the mark, you know, we still have employees that, you know, have um, low engagement, they, you know, they're not thriving, the well being is still off. Um, and when I started to kind of do my own reflection into my own personal journey, because, you know, I, I, I recognize that there are privileges that I have as well. So I was going through my own journey and exploring these privileges. But I started to realize that, Sometimes we develop these strategies and we we base these strategies on, you know, the the biases of those who sit at the table. Uh, and it's usually biases that, you know, of, of people who are privileged uh, and usually are in a space of well-being and, and have good well-being. Um, and a lot of people are being locked out and that's why the strategies weren't working. So I really wanted to start understanding what that looks like. Um, and I started to recognize that. EDI, equity, diversity, and inclusion really is the foundation for all of our human resource strategies. So I wanted to take more of a centered approach on that. Um, and because everything else really just falls into place after that. So I ended up kind of leaving the, the corporate well-being consulting space and started my own journey at Soul Work Alliance. I work with a lot of great organizations creating EDI strategies that really meet their needs based on their specific um, issues and end needs. So that's where I am today. Uh, it's great work just helping organizations be more inclusive and create these spaces where employees can really thrive. That's amazing. And it's such important work. And um, I think it, the companies that work with you really, really benefit from, from your experience and the perspectives that you bring. So I have a question that I get a lot mm -hmm. from from employers, um, or maybe not so much as a question as, as kind of a pain point for them, is figuring out that there is an issue, right? Mm -hmm. There's a, there's that, that first step of realizing that you have a problem or that there could be a problem. Um, so what are some of the signs? What are the kind of the first things that employers should be looking out for to recognize that they may need to reach out to somebody like you? 
Yeah, there, there's actually quite a few. Uh, and I think the challenge that we have um, as leaders, as organizations, is sometimes we don't pay attention to what we're seeing. Um, so, you know, there's there's some of the obvious ones, low engagement scores. That could be an issue that something's going on. And, you know, sometimes I hear organizations that will say, we actually have really great engagement scores, but you have to pay attention to what are you scoring great on and what are you scoring not so great on? So, you know, when we take the average, obviously we all know what the average is, but when you start to drill down into what those numbers really mean, you might be scoring really well on, you know, like, yeah, you've got great cafeteria perks and, you know, you've got this a hybrid work solution and those are great. But what's leadership style like? How is the culture within the organization? Those are the scores that you actually need to pay attention to and not just take the average and say things are well. You've got to actually drill down things like low productivity. Um, another issue to watch out for. Um, what are meetings like? Are employees quiet? Because sometimes we think that if employees don't say anything, then they're okay. They don't have anything to say or they're in agreement. And that's not necessarily the case. We talk sometimes about a speak up culture. We need a listen up culture. Are we actually listening to our employees? And are we providing the safe space that employees can feel that they can share concerns and raise issues or raise ideas? Um, so do we have that psychological safety? If we're finding that employees are relatively quiet and meetings are quiet and maybe innovation is stagnant, employees no longer are bringing ideas to the table, that could be a sign that there's a deeper issue going on. There are other things just to kind of keep in mind as well. Perhaps there's some workplace issues that we need to pay attention to, increased Workplace investigations or complaints, those are other issues. Um, difficulty getting new talent or keeping talent. Obviously, we want to keep our best talent, but we also want to welcome new talent in the door. We want to welcome diverse talent. If those are issues and we're struggling to get new talent or keep existing talent, there could be a deeper issue to look into. And I think one of the things that is always an issue. Although for some organizations, they, they don't see it's an issue. When I start to hear the term, we're all family here. We've got a family culture here. That is a clear sign that there could actually be an issue. And there are a lot of reasons why having this family type environment or the family feel is actually not a good thing for organizations. So that's just kind of scraping the surface. But these are some of the things where you know, when they're, they're no longer one-offs, but you have to look at everything as a whole and start to kind of dive a little bit deeper and not sweeping the, them in the, under the rug. This is where we need to pay attention to things. I really like that. I, I think that's really, really helpful. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned the, um, you know, we're all a family here uh, because uh, it's it's intended to be positive, right? It's, <laughs> and some And a lot of people look at it as this really positive thing, but you're absolutely right. It, it can be a sign that that something is not quite right <laughs> under the surface because it really shouldn't be a family environment, yeah. right? It's a business. Exactly. Um, and that's where we start to blur those lines between, you know, kind of work and home when we start to uh, build a culture that is focused on kind of the family feel. There's a lot of favoritism in family. There's a lot of conflict right. of interest. There's, a, you know, a lot of exclusion that often happens in family. So it's not necessarily a good thing to have a family feel to your work culture. 
Right. Absolutely. So, okay. So once an employer has identified an issue, um, perhaps they've got, like you said, not just one instance where there's been an issue, but maybe a pattern that's starting to appear. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe people are unhappy. This isn't a safe space for them. They don't feel like they can, they can communicate. So you're not getting the best out of your people. And they're coming to you, they're walking through your door, or they're sending you an email and they're saying, Nicole, I think I have a problem. What's the first step in terms of addressing that? I love the fact that, you know, people are reaching out, right? Because admitting that you have an issue is, is really that first step. You know, in EDI work, there is a lot of soul searching that needs to be done. Sometimes there's a lot of self-awareness that we need to do. There's organizational awareness that needs to happen as well. So admitting that you have an issue uh, is, is the first great step. And obviously that's been done. Um, but I think that, you know, the next step that sometimes is a challenge is actually identifying that you want to do something about it. We often know that there's issues, we recognize there's issues, but we think, wow, this feels really big and I don't know if I wanna tackle this. Then you're going to have the same issue continue on. So actually knowing that you want to do something about it and that you have the power to do something is the next thing. And once you kind of get over that, it's, it's a gap analysis. You've gotta take a deeper dive into what the issues are and what those trends are starting to tell you. And for me, that gap analysis, when I work with organization, it's a full gap analysis. And, you know, I obviously, I, you know, I'm biased in saying, you know, it preferably with a neutral third party, but it's a multi-step process in doing that gap analysis. And it's taking a look at all of the programs, the policies, the processes that exist within the organization and reviewing them through that lens of EDI. Are they, are they inclusive? Um, do they offer diversity? Um, and then obviously gathering some employee experiences, that's an important factor in doing a gap analysis. So employee experiences, you know, often we say, well, we gather employee experiences, we do our employee survey. It's actually taking a deeper look into that. And it is through focus groups and interviews. I conduct a lot of focus groups and interviews. And the stories that I hear sometimes are very heartbreaking. We think we have these great cultures. But when I report back some of the themes that I'm hearing directly from employees, sometimes it's shocking because we don't recognize what's going on within our organizations. So gathering that information through focus groups and employees is incredibly powerful because that helps inform what's really going on in the organization so that we can actually do something about it and doing something about it could be putting some type of strategy in place to have a great culture where employees can thrive. That's really interesting. And, and I can see how employees would not be able to be as honest um, with, with an employer-led survey or giving feedback to a direct manager um, because they have that concern <laughs> that anything that I say could impact me professionally, not in a good way, right? It could it could create conflict. It create could create tension. I think a lot of us are very conflict adverse. We don't want to have a work environment like that. Um, so I can definitely see how you're able to come in and, and get a perspective, a fresh perspective that the employer themselves, like you said, even if they're asking the right questions, they may not be getting the answers, the real answers. Um, exactly. What's happening. Exactly. And that goes back to, you know, we always say that we have these speak up cultures, but it's the listen up cultures. What are we doing about it? And is it a safe space to actually share 
employee concerns and perspectives. Some employees, you know, often they're, they are fearful for their job. I hear that a lot in focus groups and interviews. I don't want to say anything because I don't know what's going to happen. I saw that, you know, Joe said something and Joe's no longer here. Joe may have been let go for a completely different reason. Who knows? But it's it's about the employee perception on whether or not it's actually safe to speak up in, in that environment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I've got to ask this question. Um, I, so where do you see pushback? What's, what's the common pushback that you get, not just from the employer side, but from the employee side too, when you're coming in and you're doing this kind of gap analysis, what are some of the common pushbacks uh, or pain points that you, that you hear? Yeah, it's a great question because there are, there is pushback and then how do we kind of move through that pushback? Um, I hear from leadership and employees, surprisingly from employees, um, you know, I think part of it stems from the fact that when an organization is going through an EDI culture assessment or developing a strategy, there's a misconception that it's a thing, that it's, you know, kind of a one-time thing and we've got to move through this thing. Whereas EDI and, you know, EDI strategic work is, it's a culture shift. It's a way of being, it's a way of working. So because many associate it with being a thing or a one-off initiative, they think there's going to be wins and loses from that. I'm going to lose something as an employer. I'm going to lose something as a leader. Uh, you know, I commonly hear, oh no, you know, if we implement EDI here, am I going to lose my job to, oh, you know, if I'm a, a male, if I'm, am I going to lose my job to a woman or, you know, kind of worse yet, a woman of color? Does that mean my job's going to, I'm now going to have to give up my job or my role or some of my duties and give them over? And that's not necessarily what it means. So we have to understand what developing an EDI strategy means and how do we introduce that to the organization? I also, you know, believe some of the fear comes from, we've got a great culture here, why rock the boat? Right. Um, you know, where we are that family, you know, so why do we need to make changes? Everything is good here. There's nothing to see here. Everything's good. Let's move along. Um, and I think that's some of the, the challenges that come with this type of work and how it's communicated through organization. And I think that, you know, some of the most concerning feedback that I hear is from employees themselves, even from marginalized employees, because the way we sometimes present EDI in organizations, it comes across as, you know, kind of the old affirmative action. So, you know, we're hiring specifically for color or for gender, um, which, you know, obviously affirmative action had its, its time and place. We've, you know, we've evolved from there, but sometimes the way employers introduce EDI strategy or this type of work, it comes across that employees somehow will either be penalized or we're doing this for our marginalized employees because they need a leg up on their own they can't succeed so if you're a marginalized employee and this this narrative is out there you may think as a, an employee oh my goodness i now everybody's looking at me because we're doing this work because of me and it almost becomes a negative connotation where employees feel that they're being penalized or everybody's looking at them like, oh, I had to do this interview because to make you feel better. And that's not the case. We need to make sure that we are taking an inclusive approach, 
that EDI isn't just about race or gender. It's about all of the wonderful dimensions of diversity, whether or not we're talking about new parents or an aging workforce or race, color, ethnicity, all of these different dimensions. And that's where EDI actually impacts us all. I really like that. I, I think that's a really, really important message that I hope um, everybody watching today takes away and absorbs that and sits with that because I think that's really, really important um, perspective to understand that that equity affects all of us. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's great. Thank you for sharing that, Nicole. So I want to um, talk a little bit about another pushback that I see a lot. Uh, from from corporate clients, and it's not necessarily so much as a pushback. It's it's almost a question of do I belong in this space? Is this for me? Um, and it it comes a lot from small organizations or businesses that are just starting out, and they've got this idea of I'm too small for this. I only have five employees. I only have four employees. Maybe I'm just starting, and I'm hiring my first employee. I don't belong in this conversation yet. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that. What would you say to a, a small organization that's just kind of getting their start who has that perspective? Uh, first off, I love working with small organizations. I mean, you know, it's such a, a great place to start. You know, you, I mean, I also love working with large organizations, but it's more challenging. You know, when you have these mindsets in large organizations and policies that are already in place, sometimes it's like, you know, kind of turning the Titanic. It's a little bit of a challenge. Um, EDI is all about workplace culture. So it's for everybody. It's for any size organization. There's something amazing though about small businesses, small organizations who are trying to build something great. I don't, I have never spoken to a small organization that says, you know, I want to stay small. I don't want to grow. Most <laughs> organizations actually want to grow. Uh, and what a great time to kind of set the great foundation and start that culture work early so that as these organizations grow and get more clients and start to introduce new employees to their organization, that they've got this great foundation and a great culture that they're already working from. So small organizations are a great place to start. Um, they may not need, you know, kind of a multi-layered strategy that we would see in a larger organization. But there are things that can be done just to kind of start that foundation, start to build that culture so that as the organization grows, it's just easy to, you know, to start to navigate all of the additional challenges that come with being a large organization. Yeah, and maybe they can avoid some of the pitfalls, but like the problems before they start happening, if they're growing in that kind of strategic direction where they've already got these things on their mind. They're already thinking yes. about how do I grow in a way that supports yeah. equity and inclusion and belonging for everybody. Exactly. Um, there, there's an amazing quote from Terrence Lester who, you know, you can follow him through multiple channels, but um, it, it's a brilliant quote because it says, um, Everyone is welcome, which we hear a lot, you know, organizations say everybody's welcome here. Everyone is welcome is drastically different from we built this with you in mind. And what a great place for smaller organizations to say, we built this with you in mind. We've built our organization around you. It's an incredible way to go. That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I, I really, really like that. 
Um, okay, I want to I want to uh, shift just a little bit. I want to get your thoughts on something that we're hearing a lot of um, in uh, certainly in the media. Um, I think uh, all every young worker has heard this at some point uh, is this idea of nobody wants to work anymore. This opinion, nobody wants to work anymore. Mm. Nobody wants to put in the effort. Um, what do you see? Where do you see that coming from? And what are your thoughts about that? Wow. I haven't met anybody who says I don't want to work. Um, <laughs> Me neither. So I'm they're, glad. They're, I, I just, I, you know, and I, I've done literally, you know, the amount of interviews and focus groups that I hold. I, I have not heard any employees as I, you know, I don't want to work anymore. I mean, I think theoretically we all want to be on a beach and, you know, kind of enjoying our work from a beach, which is very different. Um, I think it's actually, I, I think we need to flip it a little bit. I think the reality is that employees want to work. Everybody wants to be productive. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. They want to be part of a purpose. I do think, and I've come across organizations that are setting unrealistic expectations of their candidates and employees. And that's very different. When I see job descriptions that continue to use the terminology, fast paced, high pressured environment, like this is a really cool place to work when you're saying it's fast paced and high pressure. I don't know if there's excitement in that. I don't know if there's a coolness in that. So I, you know, I don't think, I don't think that's, it's not about people not wanting to work. It's about these unrealistic expectations we're setting of employees. We are, you know, we've got this incredible generation of employees coming through the work workforce now. Uh, and I know that there's, you know, kind of uh, everybody's got their views on this next generation. I love it. I think this is a generation that's really going to shift how we do business and how we look at work. They're starting to set boundaries. I wish when I was, you know, kind of 20 something starting out in my career that I knew how to set boundaries because working 50, 60, 70 hours a week that is, that's a clear path to burnout. Um, and we've got this incredible generation that is saying, I want to set some boundaries here. You've got me from nine to five. I am wholeheartedly in here. You've got me. But don't expect me to answer emails after five. Don't expect me to, you know, kind of join a call at seven o'clock in the morning or on my lunch. I know that there's generational differences, but I think we have a lot to learn from this generation who is really setting boundaries and starting to look at what does it mean to work now? Does it mean that I need to put in 70 or hours? Does that make me a better employee than somebody who was saying, you got me for 40 hours a week. And I would love the opportunity to be able to travel and work while I travel. These are ways that we can now encourage people to be part of our organization by having this flexibility and respecting the boundaries that people are setting. So people want to work. They just want to work with realistic expectations and setting boundaries that make sense for them so that they can actually balance work and life. I love that, you know, a, a few years ago, we took this whole work-life balance and turned it into work-life integration because we were still expecting people to work an, an unrealistic amount of hours. It is work-life balance. I want my work. I want my life. I want them to balance. And I will put my own priorities first. And I love that message for this generation that they're they're teaching us. 
That's amazing. And and I, I have to imagine that this is not unique between generations, right? That every generation has their own priorities. They have their own goals. Um, and and not, not that every single person within that generation is going to be consistent in that regard either. Um, but, you know, I, I have to imagine that this is not the first time that we've come across something like this, where, where priorities kind of shift the, the idea of success, the ideas of what is happiness, they shift. Uh, and this is something that I think employers have to be prepared to adapt to, right? <laughs> like this is yeah. just the nature of an evolving world. And when you've got different generations in the workplace. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's an, it's interesting because I do some work with uh, global organizations as well. And it, it extends beyond generations. Right. There are different regions and countries that have a high priority placed on, on the life balance um, and, you know, having kind of um, midday breaks and literally shutting down at 4 35 o'clock. And that is completely acceptable. Somehow in our culture, in, you know, kind of the Canadian culture and the U S culture, we've confused that with a message of people don't want to work. Um, but there's, there's different, different countries that are, are doing it differently. And they have employees that are actually thriving, but the work isn't suffering. The work's still getting done. That's a really, really excellent point. Uh, so I want to jump off from that because I want to talk a little bit about um, your your coaching that you do mm. with individuals because I I was really fascinated when we had our preliminary discussion preparing for for today and I was asking you about your coaching and you were telling me a little bit about you know the what you do is really assisting individuals to figure out what's important to them what are their value systems and try to figure out how does a career align with those um so maybe we can talk a little bit about that i'd love to hear more from you about about how you work with individuals and kind of how you help them figure that out what is their purpose what is what are those values because i think a lot of people don't know <laughs> they don't know they're just going day to day and they don't know what is that core thing for me that that makes me happy yeah, I, you know, and I don't do a lot of coaching. I'm very selective in, you know, kind of the coaching um, that I do because, you know, my work is, is a lot of it's focused on the strategy build. But for the coaching that I do, it's really based on, you know, kind of what the struggles that I had, you know, in, in being unhappy in a career, unhappy in an organization, heading into work and just, you know, counting down the hours until I left and feeling that I wasn't making um, a change. Um, so I do work with a number of organi uh, a number of employees, um, predominantly black employees that are kind of new to the workforce. So I work with a lot of college and university graduates who are entering into the workforce in helping them understand how an organization's values aligns to their own values. But sometimes we have to kind of dig out what their own personal values are, what's meaningful for them. I think we have unfortunately done a little bit of um a, a misstep in um, encouraging students that they need to chase after money um, and they need to chase after levels. Uh, and I think this is leading to a lot of the burnout that we're seeing here and a lot of unhappiness. So how do we get happiness from other sources in other ways? Um, and how do we start to align our values to what's meaningful for us? So for me, that's an important area to explore. And then I do work with people to figure out, okay, so now we've established your values, 
what type of organization or what type of purpose are you looking for out there and how do we get you there? That's amazing. I, I really, really like, I find that a, to be a very refreshing perspective because I agree with you. I think uh, we have, a lot of us grew up defining success as getting the title, getting the money, right? Like that, yeah. that was going to bring us happiness and fulfillment. Um, but, and for some of us, I think it does. Uh, but I think there's a there's a bigger question to be asked there about what genuinely is going to make you feel like you're fulfilling a purpose on a day to day basis. Yeah. Um, How do we get off that hamster wheel? Because right. it really is, you know, you get to that next level and you think that's going to bring you happiness and then you're unhappy and it's like, OK, maybe the next level with will or the next salary increase will. And you're just it's this constant hamster wheel. Yeah. Well, that's great, um, Nicole. I'm sure that um, the the employees who are lucky enough to work with you are are experiencing a lot of benefit. Uh, I certainly have experienced a lot of benefit in just the short time that we've we've spent together. And I want to thank you so much for for coming on the program today. This was amazing. And as usual, our half an hour is just flown by. I feel like I could keep talking to you forever, but um, I'm pretty sure we both probably should get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but thank you so much again, Nicole. That is a wrap for uh, season six, episode five of Fire Away. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. And again, thank you so much to Nicole for joining us today. Uh, past episodes can be found on YouTube, on our website, and archived on Facebook. If you like our page or subscribe to our channel, you will receive notifications when the episodes are live. Our next episode will be airing on July 18th. And Stuart will be welcoming Denise Coster back for her second appearance on the show. Welcome back, Denise. Uh, at Rudner Law, we want people to treat their employment relationships as legal relationships and make informed decisions rather than assumptions. I invite you to keep up to date on employment law issues by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, liking our Facebook page, and subscribing to our YouTube channel. And of course, check out our new TikTok feed, as well as uh, subscribe to our newsletter. But as we always say, none of that replaces legal advice tailored to your specific circumstances. If you think you may need an employment lawyer, you probably do. So feel free to reach out to us. Thanks as always to Rob, Rebecca, and Mark for helping put the show together. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>